0: Okay, Colossians chapter two. We're gonna look today at verses four through 24. I'll read the passage and we'll say a prayer and and jump into the message. So let's look at our passage together today. It reads, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are And the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all your trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting. Oops, sorry. <clears throat> let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices in the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to be destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider this word, as we consider the words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Colossae, In light of their temptations and in light of their battle to grow spiritually strong, God, we consider ourselves to be facing the same temptations and the same battles. And so we we ask, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word today and to grow into maturity in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin with a question. That question is, do we need... to grow spiritually. And, and if we need to grow spiritually, how do we go about growing spiritually? And to, to answer that first question, um, I want you to think about the nature of your spiritual life. In other words, is the Christian faith something that you hear the gospel, believe the gospel? Okay, I've checked that box. I've placed my faith in Christ I guess I'm going to heaven now, and so I just live my life until I get there. Is coming to Christ a one-time event that once it's completed, there's really nothing more to it until you get to heaven? Many people treat it as such. Instead, though, the Bible paints a picture of coming to Christ for salvation as the beginning of a process of growth. I want to use an illustration here today. I have here a very small tomato plant. I started this from seed in January. This is my baby. This is my little buddy. My wife. My wife finds it odd that I talk to them and that I have such a close relationship with them. Um, but this. This is. This is an example that I want to use today of the necessity of growing spiritually mature. Of what value is this small tomato plant? Marty says zero. I take offense at that. (laughs) Companionship is valuable, Marty. In reality, it is of little value. Perhaps zero. Why? What are tomato plants supposed to do? produce tomatoes, right? They're supposed to produce tomatoes. There's, there's really n- nothing inherently valuable about a tomato plant except for its potential to produce tomatoes. Now, this particular tomato is a cherry tomato variety. That's the small little grape size tomatoes. And if it grows to its potential, if it becomes fully mature, it will produce hundreds of of sweet and delicious cherry tomatoes. It's my favorite garden fruit. If, however, it chooses not to grow into its potential and to reach full maturity, it is, as much as it pains me to say it, I agree with Marty, worthless. Do you see where I'm going with this? Spiritually, we have potential that potential is fruit. That potential is meaningful, life-giving fruit. God has designed you with the potential to grow into maturity and to produce fruit with your life. However, what percentage of people claiming to be Christians do you think grow to full maturity? It's hard to think about, isn't it? Most Christians are walking around and the extent of their spiritual growth is comparable to where this tiny tomato plant is at right now. They are immature. And I don't don't mean immature in the sense of childish, although that can be a part of those early stages of maturity. I just mean they have failed to grow into their full potential. They have failed to become what they were created and designed to be. So the question I pose, do we need to grow spiritually? You tell me, is it acceptable? Is it acceptable to remain in a stage of immaturity when you have the potential to produce much fruit. Let me say it another way. Maybe this would be more appealing to you if that illustration doesn't help. Uh, Kim and I took in an eight-month-old foster boy two weeks ago. Tomorrow will be two weeks, we'll have him two weeks. And uh, he's been a a big blessing, been really cool to have him. We're we're very grateful for him. But he's eight months old and he does eight-month-old things. And I was thinking about this sermon before uh, I went to church Friday night and um, as I was leaving the house, <clears throat> his name's Leo, I was leaving the house, Leo was eating some baby food. Actually, it wasn't baby food, it was just normal food mashed up um, to, to you know become easy for him to eat. And he's sitting there in his little bumbo chair and Kim's been working on some baby signs with him. Uh, she's been teaching him to sign more. This is the sign for more. And... Um, she's been trying to get him to use that when he wants more to eat. And so he's sitting there in his, in his bumbo chair and he's got baby food all over his face and he starts trying to apply what she's teaching him, but he doesn't have the fine motor skills to do this. So He's just doing this. And, he, and he's smiling and he's excited and he wants more. And, there, and it was the cutest thing. And you're like, that's so awesome to see the smiling little baby with food on his face, just flailing his arms, so eager to eat. And that's perfect if you're eight months old. But it, if you took me to lunch today <laughs> and I'm sitting in the booth at the restaurant and I'm really enjoying my food and I'm getting it all over my face and I'm just making noises and I'm doing this, that something's wrong. <sighs> yeah, something is wrong. It might, may or may not be that, but... You see, we are made to grow. We're meant to grow into maturity. And things that are acceptable in early stages of maturity, things that might even be cute or enjoyable, aren't appropriate if we don't continue to grow in maturity. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna wanna use this passage to give us some rules. I call them rules, they're... Encouragements. Some of them are warnings. Rules for spiritual growth. I'm not going to give us tools for spiritual growth so much today. As as here here are some principles that we we need to embrace or adhere to. We do have a plan to give you tools for spiritual growth. We've been working on some things um, as a church leadership that that we want to uh, soon implement to help you to continue to grow spiritually but today I just want to give you some rules here's some some ideas some things that we need to keep in mind as we seek to grow spiritually if you have the handout in front of you go ahead and get it out on the handout the first thing that I want to draw from this passage is that we need to remain in the one we received The first rule of spiritual growth, and these don't go in any kind of order of importance necessarily. I'm just going to work through the passage because this is what Paul's doing. He's he's exhorting the the believers uh, in Colossae to grow spiritually. They've heard the gospel. They've they've. They've entered into this, the early stages of growth, uh, but he wants to see them continue to grow into maturity. And so he's writing to exhort them, to warn them at times. And he begins with this, to remain in the one you received. He says in verse six, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. The first rule that Paul lays down is that in order to grow spiritually, you don't move on from Christ and the gospel, you remain in Christ and the gospel. You grow deeper into by being rooted and established and growing firm in your faith. The temptation, one of the, one of the things that was going on in Colossae, I think we've talked about this a little bit already, was that people were coming in. Now now that the gospel has been preached in this town and people have believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, there have been people who have been coming in and they've been adding to or they've been taking people away from that foundation of the gospel, and they've been teaching them that, okay, Christ is cool and all. It's good to believe in Jesus. But now that, you're, now that you're saved, now that you're a spiritual person, let me tell you about this. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. To grow into maturity in Christ, you must remain in the one you received. You must continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in. In the faith. I don't want to press the analogy too far, but this tomato plant, it's, it's in a little container here. And in this container, it's developing a root system. And if I were to pull that container apart and remove that soil, in all likelihood, I would kill this plant. It's at a very fragile stage. Uh, it's, it's, even the stem itself is fairly fragile. I could probably actually break that stem by blowing on it too hard. Its, it's roots are even more fragile. And the same concept could apply to us spiritually when we try to move on from the gospel and move on to other spiritual things because we have misunderstood the purpose of the gospel. The gospel... And Jesus, in particular, as Paul is going to elaborate on, this, is, this whole letter is about the exaltation of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ in our spiritual growth. He says, just as you received him, continue to walk in him. Remain in the one you received. Remain and, and, and grow roots and be built up and established in the faith that you began with. That's the first key, the first rule for spiritual growth. The second one that works alongside of it is watch out for distortions of the gospel. You see this on the handout? Watch out for distortions of the gospel. These distortions of the gospel are the things that sound similar to what you first believed, sound like maybe they even build upon what you first believed, but they're, they're really poisonous. They're, they're really actually going to, to kill the growth that has begun to take place. Paul says in verse eight, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world. Rather than Christ. Be careful that no one takes you captive. There are people who will try to captivate you with things that sound good. They'll try to captivate you with philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. They'll try to captivate you with something other than the gospel. It seems as though, and we don't know a ton about what was happening happening uh, among the Colossian church, but it seems clear from this letter that one of the threats, one of the distortions of the gospel that was taking place was very common in New Testament times. Paul dealt with it in almost all of the churches that he planted. And, and that was the distortion that, okay, you've got these, the, the gospel begins initially with Jews who come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that God... Jesus was God's plan of redemption all along. They see how that lines up with the Old Testament. And so Jews begin to believe, but then as non-Jews begin to believe, they're coming, they're coming into faith and they don't have all of this Jewish tradition. They don't have this Old Testament spirituality. They don't they don't practice the same things that the Jews practiced when they put their faith in Christ. And that that caused a lot of tension between Jews and non-Jews in the early church. And there was, that created an atmosphere that was really ripe for this distortion, which was basically Jewish people coming in and saying, okay, you believe in Jesus, but now you need to start doing all of the old covenant things. You need to do all the things that us Jews do. And you need to observe certain holidays and you need to be careful to only eat certain foods and you need to do this and you need to do that. And you know, the Sabbath was a very popular thing that they wanted to impose upon these new believers. Circumcision, as odd as that is, was one of the things that they wanted to impose upon these new believers. But there's a fine line, a very fine line between trying to, do what could be good things in response to the gospel, and trying to do good things in order to improve upon the gospel. And at some point, adding things to the gospel becomes a false gospel adding rules and regulations and you need to do this, this, and this in addition to believing in Jesus, particularly when those things are contrary to the work of Jesus and and, and particularly when those things have to do with the old covenant which Jesus has fulfilled on our behalf, these things become dangerous distortions of the gospel that we receive. And so Paul warns them. This isn't necessarily a rule, it's a warning. Be careful. Watch out for distortions of the gospel. This happens today as well. It's extremely common today. People want to to captivate Christians with a Jesus plus this message message. Believe in Jesus, but then do this and whatever their favorite distortion of the gospel. So for some, it's, it is keep the Sabbath. For some, it's you, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to prescribed to this philosophy of Christian thought, or you need to be a part of, of this sort of direction of Christianity in order to be saved, in, in order to continue and to grow into maturity, you must follow these, what Paul rightfully identifies as false gospels. And we need to be aware of that. And to be aware of that, we need to become very familiar with the biblical gospel. We need to know what the Bible says about the gospel. And the only way to do that is to be in the Bible and to, to be growing and learning what the gospel is so that we can identify these distortions. It's, it's like you need to have, uh, you know, when you go to the store and you pay with $20 bills and um, they get out that little marker. I don't know what the heck that thing does, but they get it out and they, they swipe your $20 bill and then they put it in the thing they're like, I guess that was okay. I was like, I don't know. For all I know, I mean, Marty gave me that 20. For all I know, he's not a good 20. But they're, they're, they've developed tools to identify false currencies. And we need, as Christians, if we're going to be mature, we need to have tools to identify false gospels. We, we, we need to be able to, to sniff them out and to, to see them coming and to go... Yeah, that sounds good, but that's not right. Something's off. Something's a little bit strange about that. I'm not gonna jump in on this fad. I'm not gonna join this trend um, till I see what this is really about. We need to develop those skills. So watch out for distortions of the gospel. Next, one of the rules for growing in spiritual maturity is to know that Jesus is the revelation of God and the perfecter of his people. I'll explain that a little bit, but for now, just get down to those fill in the blanks. Jesus is the revelation of God and the perfecter of his people. Paul says it this way in verse nine. He says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. We'll come back to that because that's an important statement. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ when you are buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul is trying to drive home to the Colossian believers is that because they have Jesus, they have the full thing. They've got the, the complete gospel, the complete package. They have the real thing. You might remember, I don't know if they still do this, I don't know, um, but Coke, this was like decades ago, Coke used to have these, these, this commercial campaign where they said, it's the real thing or something like that. And they were, basically, they were calling out their competitors and they were saying, no, if you've got Coke, you've got the real thing. You don't need those other colas. Now that's debatable. We could probably start a fight in here today if we were to try to determine which is better, Coke or Pepsi, or or any any Fago fans out there. No, okay, cool. Um, but the point is, if you have Christ, you have the gospel, you have the real thing, and you have the whole thing. The distortions come when people say, "I'm not sure that." that I know everything there is to know about salvation. What else is there out there? And you start grasping outside of Christ. Here's why Paul says, if you have Jesus, you have the whole thing. He says, because God's fullness, his entire self, his entire nature, dwells in Christ bodily, he has revealed himself, not to say that we know everything there is to know about God, that probably won't ever happen, but he has revealed in his son everything necessary for salvation and growth and maturity and fruitful living according to the gospel he is, he, he, there's, there's no necessary truth outside of him. There's, there's no life giving thing outside of him. There's, there's, there's no spiritual revelation outside of him. It's all in Jesus. It's all in the gospel. And listen to this. And you have been filled by him. Because you are in Jesus, you have in you the full revelation of God and the perfecter of his people. You have the real thing. You have the whole thing. You just need to keep growing in it. You just need to keep getting to know him better. You need to explore what you have already been given. That's how you're going to grow into maturity. A lot of false gospels come from the idea that the Christian, the Christian message of the gospel is missing something. That there's some other secret out there. There's, there's some other code written in Scripture, or there's, there's some other thing somewhere that you need to know, and, and, and you're not going to find it in your Christian church. This is a 2,000 year old distortion of the gospel. So Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, no, it's all right here. Fullness of God, bodily in Christ Jesus, who happens to be in you. It doesn't mean you've unpacked it all. It doesn't mean you've understood it all. It doesn't mean you've come to, to enjoy or to grasp everything that there is. It just means that if you want to grow deeper, you want to grow more mature, you, you, you need to keep looking. In the same place, Jesus. You need to keep getting to know Him, study His Word, and grow in Him. He is the head over every other ruler and authority. <clears throat> and then He says, because specifically they're dealing with this um, this idea of circumcision. So you've got—I know this is—I don't know if this is as uncomfortable for you as it is for me, but it's very uncomfortable to talk about. But you've got uncircumcised believers. And there's people teaching them that they need to be physically circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. There's something far greater than physical circumcision. Physical circumcision was, was, was a placeholder for the circumcision of Christ, which is not of physical nature, but it is of spiritual nature. It's a circumcision not done with hands. It's a circumcision that you identify yourself with through baptism, He says, in baptism, you were buried with him and you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is identifying yourself publicly with something that has happened personally, inwardly. It is identifying yourself with the burial, the death and burial of Jesus, and then also identifying yourself with his resurrection by coming up out of the water. That's why it's important that we all take that step of being baptized, it's commanded by God. We'll be doing baptisms, by the way, Easter weekend. If you've not been baptized, and would like to discuss that with us. Easter weekend's a great opportunity to declare publicly that you have been buried with Christ and resurrected from the dead with him. Let's keep going, we got a couple more. The next one is, the next rule for spiritual growth is to trust in the one who has already done what you could never do. Why this emphasis on just growing more in Jesus? Why this emphasis on the sufficiency of what you already have and, and, and that you don't need to go and discover new truths outside of Christ? It's because... We are called to trust in the one who's already done what we could never do. Let me show you this in in, in this passage, verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses, what are dead people dead people capable of accomplishing? Not a lot, right? you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. Who did that? He did. Who couldn't do it? You couldn't do it. He's done what you could never do. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He's, he's poking right at these distortions that are coming in, the distortions that are telling these Colossian believers, trust Jesus, but do this and do that. Don't, don't do that. Be careful that you, that you avoid this. He's, he's poking at their attempts. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that Christians should do and shouldn't do, but they're, they're trying to take Christians backwards to the Old Testament law Which God used to prepare for the thing that has now come, Jesus. And so they're trying to take them back into law. And but Paul says, But that law has been erased. That law, with its certificate of debt and its obligations, which was against us and opposed to us, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed. The rulers and authorities, and disgraced them publicly, he triumphed over them. He's What, what he's saying is that, that God, in sending his son, has made a mockery of human attempts to achieve righteousness. The Jews crucified Jesus because they thought that was the righteous thing to do the most unrighteous thing that has ever been done. The crucifixion of the sinless son of God was was an example of how futile man's attempt is to do what we could never do, what only he could do. When we attempt to make ourselves righteous on our own, we do things like crucify the the sinless son of God. We do things that expose our inability to do what God has commanded us to do. The good news is he did it for us. And so to grow in maturity, it's a constant reminding yourself. It's a constant growing deeper in your trust of the one who has done what you could never do. It's understanding the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice to accomplish what no dead person could ever do, which is resurrection from the dead. He's made us alive with Him, and so we want to grow in our trust. I say that because the opposite is probably the natural tendency. The if we're not careful and if we don't do if. Well, if we're not careful, we can begin with Jesus and say, yeah, when I was, before I was a Christian, I needed a savior. Before I was a Christian, I I couldn't fix myself. I tried and I just kept doing this or I kept doing that. I was just a mess. And I thank God that Jesus forgave me when I was a sinner. But now I've become a pretty decent person. Now I don't lie as much, I don't steal as much, I don't swear as much, I don't drink as much, Or whatever, whatever, I go to church like two or three Sundays a week. Most of the time I put a little bit of money in the offering. Every now and then I volunteer for it. I'm a pretty decent person. You've lost the gospel. Spiritual maturity produces the opposite of that as you grow spiritually mature in Christ, you become more convinced of your sinfulness. You become more convinced of your need for a savior. You become more in awe of the gospel and of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Man, when I was a new believer, I was like 16 when I came to Christ and when I was a new believer, I knew I was a wretch. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed grace. I knew I needed Jesus but I had this picture in my mind that in a few years, though, I'm gonna be a pretty good person. Like, I'm on track to be, like, a really good person. <laughs> and that was 25 years ago. And I haven't hit any of those milestones. <laughs> and I, and instead, what has happened is my awareness of my sinfulness has grown. And my my... my my desire for a savior and my, um, the need that I have daily to be forgiven by a merciful God just keeps growing and growing. When we start to think, oh, you know, I needed forgiven then, but now God's probably pretty happy to have me on his team. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. That's a sign that we've missed the gospel. Spiritual maturity is that we grow in trusting in the one who has already done what we could never do. Two more. Next one on the handout is this. Don't judge or be judged by anything that undermines the gospel. Don't judge or be judged by anything that undermines the gospel. Therefore, verse 16, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, let me just pause there because these sound odd um, to most of us. Paul appears to be referring to, when he talks about food and drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbath, he appears to be referring to Old Testament commands that are now being opposed upon New Testament Christians, imposed upon New Testament Christians, because he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of what was to come. They're not bad. They're not irrelevant. They're not to be disregarded. They're to be understood in the context of what God was doing. He was preparing the world for sending his son to be our salvation. These are a shadow, the substance is Christ. Then he says in verse 18, let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm such people were inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. I think he's now referring to, it seems as he's referring to, things that were being imposed upon them outside of Old Testament practices. So they're getting it from both sides. They, they've got these people that want them to be, become more Jewish and they got these people that want them to become more pagan. And he's telling them, don't be judged by any of that. Don't judge and don't be judged by these things that undermine the gospel. And he says of these people, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. This is the picture of our spiritual life in the New Testament, that Jesus is the head and we are his body, not to be graphic, but what happens to a body that becomes detached from its head, it dies, <laughs> um, this is what happens when you judge or are judged by things that are either trying to impose upon you Jewish regulations for pleasing God or pagan or things out you know worldly regulations for pleasing God anything that is outside of the gospel as it's been delivered to us through the New Testament when you when you go and you pursue those things you become detached from the head from which you gain life and you wither and you die. And so stick with the gospel. <laughs> it's really important that our growth is a growth into depth of the gospel. Let me give you the last one and then I'll ask you a question before we leave. The last one is, last rule for spiritual growth, pursue true spiritual growth and not just the appearance of Spirituality. Pursue growing inwardly where it really matters and not just things that you can do to make others think you're more spiritual. Verse 20 says If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? He's talking to Christians. Why do you submit? What he means by that is is why do you submit to regulations? And he's quoting them don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These Christians lived in a world full of competing religions, not unlike our world today. Um, But they would literally, like if you walked through the open market, there would not just be food to eat, but there would be food to eat that was sacrifice to false gods or sacrifice to idols. And there would be opportunities in just your daily life. They're religious people for sure. They're not, they're not non-religious people. And so the, 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 the distortion or the, the false idea of how Christians ought to live in the world became, well, don't touch that. Don't, don't go over there. Don't, don't have anything to do with that because it's been sacrificed to a false god. And, and Paul's like, it's just a steak. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just food. He says, why do you submit to these regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Things that we do to appear religious outwardly. Well, we, we I don't want to get too close to home. It is Lent season. <laughs> um, and I'm not condemning Lent in any way. But we we do things that can be a sign of spiritual growth and can lend to spiritual growth. But be careful. Be careful that you are not adopting religious practices just for the sake of looking like you're growing spiritually. Be sure that all you do is truly leading to spiritual growth that's inwardly changing. And Lent can be used in that way. You can can take the Lenten season as an opportunity to grow spiritually or you can take the Lenten season as an opportunity just to show everybody that you're religious. Paul's wanting to draw our attention to the difference. One is of no value. He says they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence But when we do things that truly help us grow spiritually, the fruit of that, the fruit of that will be far better than little grape-sized sweet tomatoes. The fruit of that is eternal. The fruit of true spiritual growth is eternal, for us and for those who will be impacted. There are people. In your life, who in some way or another need you to grow into spiritual maturity, they need you to be the person that God created you to be. They are dependent in some way upon your growth in Christ. This is not just about you. We as a church need spiritually mature believers. We need a body of people who are genuinely, genuinely seeking to become more like Christ. The question is, are you gonna be content to remain in immaturity? Or are you going to grow and bear fruit and be the person that God created you to be? let me ask you to just look at your handout for a minute. Which one of these rules or warnings do you need to heed this week? Is there one of these that, that spoke to you more than the others or will now? Is there one of these? And just circle it. Just circle it, put a star by it, whatever. And seek to apply that truth to your life this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And we are spiritual beings and we live in a spiritual world and we serve a spiritual God. Therefore, our spiritual growth is of utmost importance. God, remind us this week we are not just physical beings. It is not enough to take care of our bodies. We must tend to our spiritual lives. We must embrace the concept of becoming mature in Christ so that we could bear fruit. And God, I thank you that it's your desire that we do that and that when we, when we strive for that, we strive with the help of the Holy Spirit. You desire to help us become more mature. We're not alone in this struggle. We're not alone in this battle. You are on our side. You are with us. You give grace. You provide the resources. You enable us to grow spiritually. And so today, I'm just, God, I'm asking you to speak to every heart in this room. Give us the desire increase our commitment, give us specific steps that we can take this week to grow into the maturity that Christ desires for us to have. Father, bring to mind the people in our lives who are impacted by our level of spiritual growth. Remind us of the people whom we love, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our church, our co-workers, our classmates. Let us see how our growth in you might impact them and how our failure to grow might also have the same detrimental effect on them. But ultimately, we pray that we'd be compelled by a love for you and a vision to be closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.